Before we get started, the StoryBrand Marketing live stream is coming up September 14th and 15th. If you've not registered yet, do so at StoryBrand.com. What is the live stream? It's where you go to clarify your message and create a sales funnel. Those two things will help you survive as a business, not only survive, but thrive. We're going to be climbing out of an economic recession. We're going to be recovering from that recession. And anybody who has a clear message and a sales funnel is going to do much, much better than a business that doesn't. So if you've been waiting to clarify your message, wait no longer. September 14th and 15th, register at storybrand.com. When you register, we'll help you clarify your message. You get a sales funnel. But you'll also be in a Zoom room with 11 other businesses and a coach. You're going to get live feedback on the messaging that you're creating. You're going to know whether you're doing it right. It's an unbelievable opportunity. You want to register today at storybrand.com. It's September 14th and 15th. Mark your calendars and register today. Once again, storybrand.com. Welcome to the Building a Storybrand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hi, Don. J.J., today on the podcast, we have Nir Eyal. Uh-huh. Nir wrote a book called Indistractable. <laughs> okay. And he is going to teach us <laughs> I not like to play be... on words. Uh-huh. I'm telling you, you're going to love this interview. Yeah. While I was actually conducting the interview, I kept opening another document uh-huh. <laughs> in my computer to take notes. That's how good this yeah. is. And he's a Stanford professor. Uh-huh. Uh, we caught him in Singapore. Okay. He, here's how. Here's who Nir is. Before we did the interview, he told me when he found out the quarantine was going to happen. You know, Trump gave an announcement. The mm-hmm. NBA shut down. He googles safest place to live out a pandemic. Uh-huh. <laughs> It was New Zealand or Singapore. Uh-huh. So he moved his family to Singapore. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> that is a man we up for an adventure. Have done that for real. So we caught him oh in gosh. Singapore and we talked about his book and he basically gave us uh, some really incredible strategies on how to stop being distracted by your phone. Yeah. Also, weight loss strategies, get into shape strategies. It's all the same oh, wow. thing. Wow. It's all the same thing. He would say that that a lot of the bad habits we have are just you not wanting to feel discomfort. Yes. And so you yes. just you do other things. 100%. I think he's on to something. Yeah. Am I, I'm curious, what are your techniques to stay indistracted? <laughs> distracted. <laughs> I am very distractible. Yeah? <laughs> that is the thing. Unlike me. Unlike you, you are laser focused. <laughs> whereas I, you know, there's a couple different things I do, um, and some of these I actually learned from you. Two mi- big things that really help me focus is... In the morning, I try to write down all the things that I need to do and just kind of get them out of my brain and right. know they're going to get done. Like there's little things like I have to return this email or this phone call or I have to go to the grocery store. That stuff will get done, and I have to remind myself it'll get done. It just needs to get done later. So I'm not distracted by that all yeah. the time thinking about it. And then the other thing is I give myself little rewards Yes, for for when I'm able to <laughs> like focus. And sometimes and when the I rewards extend. are distraction. Exactly. I let myself be distracted by Instagram after. I finish it. Yes. For me, it might be a little treat or going on a little walk outside or something like that. But if I can say, I can sit down and write for an hour and a half, then, okay, then after that, then I can stand up and I can go walk outside or I can have this or I can play with my dog or, you know, something along those lines. Those are the two biggest things that have helped me write down the things that I know I'm going to be thinking about that I'll get to later, but just get them out of my brain and then give myself rewards for being focused. Well, I I thought I was an expert on on this kind of stuff. Yeah. I really, because I've read so many books and obviously created the Hero on a Mission Planner that's mm-hmm. coming out. Mm-hmm. But he shares one thing 
in this interview, I had never heard of or thought of. Oh my gosh, I can't And wait. I can't wait to implement it. <laughs> in fact, since the interview, I implemented it once and it worked like a charm. Oh my gosh, okay. Yeah, so you gotta okay. listen for that. But uh, he's a Stanford professor, normally lives in Manhattan. Now he's in Singapore running from the pandemic <laughs> and having a great time. Uh, it's, here's my conversation with the author of Indistractable, Near Ayal. Nir Eyal, thanks for being on the podcast today. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. You've written a book about the number one pandemic of our age, beyond COVID, beyond the Spanish flu, beyond its distraction. We are a distracted people. Your book, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life, uh, seems like uh, the right antidote for the right time. Will you tell me why write this book first? But really, what I really want to ask is, what is distraction costing us? What pain did you see in the world that you thought we need to tackle this? Oh, my gosh. You know, I, I thought that this would be a well-timed book before Corona, right? I wrote it to help people manage distraction that comes from technology and the news and their boss and their kids, all these things that take us off track. And now we have this COVID crisis, which has just heaped on even more distraction. And I think this is not going to abate anytime soon. I'm sure we will overcome Corona, but I do not think that the world will become a less distracting place. If anything, No, it's only going to get worse, isn't it? Right. It's going to become a more distracting place. And I think there really is a bifurcation between people who say, my time, my attention and my life is up for me to control versus the people who allow their time and attention to be controlled by others. And so those people who really make a difference in the world will be the ones who master what I call the skill of the century, the ability to control our attention and focus. Those people who proudly proclaim, I am indistractable, those are the people who will make the biggest impact in the century to come. In your research, did you see anything that was happening to the brain because our distraction was taking over? Well, so it's really interesting. So, you know, I, I, it took me five years to write this book. Uh, and the reason it took me so long was because I'll be very honest with you, the first three years, I kept getting distracted. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote this book for me. You know, we say that research is me-search. And uh, I had previously written a, a book called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, which came out of a class I taught at Stanford to teach businesses how to make products sticky, how to build products that build habits in people's lives. And so I analyzed what make products like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and WhatsApp and Slack and Snapchat, what made these products so habit forming. And I really understood the ins and outs in order to not, not for you know those companies' benefits, but for our benefit, for every company's benefit. And that's really what's happened over the past uh, six years since Hooked was published, that you know I, I, I've worked with every conceivable industry from education uh, to healthcare to media, all kinds of companies that can use habit forming technology for good, to build healthy habits yeah. in people's lives. Now, the flip side of that, of course, is that in a world where products are designed to be engaging, which by the way, is a very good thing, right? We, you know, right. a lot of people blame technology and I really wanted to write a book that was pro-technology because look, you know, the answer is never going to be, hey, uh, Netflix, Stop making such interesting shows. I want to watch them all the time. Uh, hey, Apple, can you make your device less user-friendly? I like to use it too much. That's never going to happen, right? So products getting better isn't a problem. 
it's progress. And so we want that to happen. But the downside of so many products becoming so user-friendly, so habit-forming, is that sometimes we can go overboard. We can get distracted by these products and services. And so in my own life, after I wrote Hooked, I found that I was very easily distracted, that uh, there was one particular, a particular instance that really made me reassess my relationship with distraction, which was uh, one afternoon I was with my daughter and uh, we, we've been homeschooling for many years now. And I remember we had this afternoon planned and we had a book of activities that daddies and daughters could play together, you know, origami and crossword puzzles. And, and one of the activities in the book was to ask each other this question, that if you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I remember the question verbatim, but I can't tell you what my daughter said. Because in that moment, I thought it was a good time to just let me check this one thing on my phone real quick. Wow. And by the time I looked up for my device, she was gone because she got the message that I was sending that whatever was on my phone was more important than she was. Hmm. And she left the room to play with some toy outside. And that's when I really realized, you know what? I understand how these products do it. And yet these, these distractions have gotten a hold of me. I need to understand this for myself. And to be totally honest with you, it didn't just happen with my daughter. Uh, I would say I would exercise, right? And I didn't. I would say I would eat right, and I wouldn't. I would say that I was going to work on that big project as soon as I get to work and nothing was gonna distract me, nothing was gonna take me off track, and yet I would procrastinate. And so that's when I decided, you know, if I could have any superpower, I just want the skill, the ability, the power to do whatever it is I say I'm going to do. And that's what being indistractable is all about. It's simply the ability to follow through, the ability to live with personal integrity. I, like so many people, was lying to myself every day. I would keep a big long to-do list, which by the way, I hate. I'm gonna tell you later on why to-do lists are terrible for your productivity. Okay. And day after day, I wouldn't do everything on my to-do list. And so day after day, I would beat myself up and say, oh, there must be something wrong with me, or maybe there's 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 something deficient, or somehow I'm, I'm morally inferior to people who seem to get things done. And what I realized was that distraction is not about some kind of moral hierarchy. It's not that you're deficient in some way. It's simply that we don't have the skills to get out of our own way. People today, we know what to do. Who doesn't basically know how to get in shape? We all know, nobody needs to buy a diet book to tell you that chocolate cake is worse for your health than a healthy salad, right? We all know we need to exercise and eat, right? Why don't we do it? We all know that we need to spend quality time with our family without letting distraction like the television set get in our way, and yet, why aren't we fully present? We all know that we need to do that important work, and yet somehow we keep procrastinating. So the problem is not a lack of information, it's the inability to conquer distraction. That is what is holding people back today. Well, you say on page two of the book, the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. Planning ahead ensures you will follow through. And you state that our brains can actually be retrained to become indistractable. Can the brain learn to pay attention and put down the phone and talk to our kids and fully engage in the moment? And if so, how do we do it? 
Absolutely, you can. Uh, anyone can. And so what it takes is essentially four key steps. And, you know, the book is full of myth busting. There was so much misinformation out there, so many gurus and productivity hacks, and everybody wants the one magic bullet. And there is no such thing. It's, it's about a system. The good news is that this system does not require a lot of willpower and self-control. I've never been a person who has a lot of willpower and self-control. In fact, I used to be clinically obese uh, wow. at one point in my life. And, and you're not I, now. I should say I'm watching you in Zoom. You're, you look like an athlete. Something no, changed. I, don't. Let me tell you, I am in the best shape of my life, and I'm proud to say that because it's been it's been a long road. But the only reason that at 42 I'm in the best shape of my life is because I simply do what I say I'm going to do. I keep the promises I make to myself. And it's not that I kill myself you know, when I make a New Year's resolution for a month and quit. It's that I consistently every day do a little bit exactly what I say I'm going to do in business, in life, for my health. It's really about just following three. So, so here's the thing. Wait, you, you actually call this, in the book, you call this traction, gaining traction. And so w will you define traction? Because it seems like traction is the goal of whether it's losing weight or growing our business. Exactly, exactly. So here's the thing. So to understand what distraction is, the best way to understand what distraction really is, because I didn't, I didn't actually use the term properly before I really dove into this research, the best way to understand what distraction is is to understand what distraction is not. So if you ask most people, what is the opposite of distraction? They will tell you what I used to think, that the opposite of distraction is focus, right? Shouldn't that be the goal, to focus? Not exactly. That the opposite of distraction is not focus. If you look at the origin of the word, the op opposite of distraction is traction. That both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And you'll notice that both words, traction and distraction, end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So traction by definition is any action that pulls you towards what you say you're going to do, pulls you towards your values, helps you become the kind of person you want to become. Now, the opposite of traction is distraction. Distraction is any action that pulls you away from what you said you would do, anything that you are not doing in, with intent, anything that it pulls you away from your values and takes you away from becoming the kind of person you want to become. So this dichotomy is incredibly important for two reasons. Number one, anything can become a distraction. So let, let, me, let me illustrate what I mean by this. You know, before I wrote this book, I would come into work and I would sit down at my desk and I would look at my to-do list and I would say, okay, I'm gonna work on that important project right now, right? That thing that I've been procrastinating on, the thing that I know I need to get done right now, I'm gonna get to work, nothing's gonna stop me, I'm gonna sit here and do it, I'm not gonna procrastinate, but right first, after this email, exactly, <laughs> yeah. you beat me to it. Let me just check that quick email. Let me scroll that Slack channel. Let me do that one quick bit of research on Google real quick because that feels worky, right? That that seems like something I got to do anyway today. Let me just tick that easy thing to do on my to-do list as opposed to the important thing, right? And what I didn't realize is that that is the most dangerous form of distraction. When we poo-poo uh, Facebook or video games, that's obvious, right? You shouldn't be playing Candy Crush while you're at work, right? But that is not the most dangerous form of distraction because it's obvious that you're distracted. The most dangerous form of distraction is working really hard on the wrong stuff, the stuff that you didn't say you were going to do with your time. It's focusing on the easy stuff and the urgent at the expense of the important. So that's point number one, that anything can become a distraction. And I think conversely, anything can be traction. So these days, every other book on the topic, and this is why I wrote this book, because I read all the other books about technology and distraction and focus, they all come from these professors 
who sit in their ivory towers and tell people to stop using social media. That the answer is to, to get rid of your cell phone, uh, stop using email, just disconnect. <laughs> Thanks for nothing, right? I can't do that, I'd lose my job, right? We need these tools. So not only is that advice super impractical, it's a moral hierarchy, which is super ridiculous because look, what is the difference between somebody saying, look, I like playing video games versus I like watching football on TV? There's no difference. Whatever it is you plan to do with your time is fine. If you wanna scroll social media, if you want to watch a video on Netflix, whatever it is you wanna do with your time is fine. As long as you decide how you spend that time, as long as it's done with intent, now you're turning distraction into traction. The difference between traction and distraction is one word, and that one word is forethought. So now we have our basic model of traction and distraction. Now we can talk about, in order to become indistractable, what prompts us to these actions. So traction, even if I want to sit down and watch a football game, as long as I'm saying that's what I intended to do with this time, I still have traction, even though I might consider it a distraction if it's unplanned. Are you suggesting we really need to forethought and plan our days minutely? Or do you allow some time for, I'm going to do anything I want. I'm going to let myself distract, be distracted from two to four today or something like that. Right. So there's a, a difference between distraction and diversion. So a distraction by definition, as we just talked about, is when we are pulled away from whatever it is we said we're going to do right? A diversion is simply a refocusing of attention. So diversions are not bad. Distractions are always bad. Now, the mistake most people make is that they don't even know what is distraction for them. Why? Because they have no idea what they wanted to do with their time. Because if you don't plan your day, somebody's going to plan it for you. In this day and age, between your boss and your kids and what happens in the news, and did you see what happened on Twitter? All of this stuff, every media company out there, their business model is exactly the same. They turn your eyeballs into cash by selling your attention to advertisers. Does anybody not know this? Does anybody not know that that's the way the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or Fox News or CNN or Facebook makes their money by selling your attention? Hmm. Well, you don't have to do that. Right? Yeah. You can, not that it's a bad thing. If you want to use those products, wonderful, but use them on your schedule not the media companies. You really talk about the idea in the book of understanding why you are being distracted. And you state the reason is to escape discomfort. That's our motivation, our desires to escape discomfort. Also, you, you believe, and I believe also, that if you understand why this is happening to you, and really not try to fight it, you just understand it and acknowledge it's happening, it goes a long way in preventing being distracted from actually taking over your life. But first of all, can we go back to what is the discomfort that we're trying to escape? Yeah, yeah, so this is super important. So now that we have the model of traction and distraction to the left and to the right, now we need to talk about what we call the triggers, the things that prompt us to action. There are two types of triggers. We have what we call external triggers, and this is what most people expect a book about distraction to be about. They expect that the distractions are all about the pings, the dings, the rings, all of the things in our outside environment that can lead us towards distraction. That is part of it, and there, there are definitely solutions that we can, uh, steps that we can take to solve this problem of external triggers, but it turns out, in time studies, what we find is that those are not the leading cause of distraction. The leading cause of distraction, the number one reason that we go off track is not because of what is happening outside of us, but what is happening inside of us. 
that most distraction begins from within. These are called internal triggers. Internal triggers are uncomfortable emotional states that we seek to escape from. And this to me, I think was probably the biggest revelation of the, the research that I did writing this book is that there is no life hack. There is no productivity technique. There is no guru that's going to give you some magic bullet that's going to solve your productivity problems unless you start with mastering the internal triggers. Because the reason we look for distraction, the reason we procrastinate, it's not some kind of moral failing. It is an inability to control our emotional impulses, which is why I say time management is pain management. Time management is pain management. Because everything we do, if you ask yourself, you know, not just why do we get distracted, but why do we do anything and everything? What is the seat of human motivation? What we now know is that all human motivation, it's not about the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. Actually, Freud was proven wrong. You know, Freud called it the pleasure principle. It's not that in fact, if you look at what's happening neurologically, the reason we do everything is for one reason, and that is to avoid discomfort. It's called the homeostatic response. If we think about physiologically, right, if you go outside and it's cold, well, the brain says, oh, that doesn't feel good. You should put on a coat. If you come back inside, well, now it's too hot. And the brain says, that doesn't feel good. Take off your jacket. If you're hungry, you feel hunger pangs. And if you eat too much, you're stuffed, you stop eating. So those are physiological reactions. The same principle holds true for our psychological reactions. For example, if you are lonely, check Facebook. If you are uncertain, Google. If you are bored, oh my goodness, so many solutions for boredom, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, stock prices, sports cars. Oh, uh, let's check the news so that we can worry about somebody else's problems halfway around the world as opposed to having to think about the fact that- You think that's why we check the news? That is absolutely why we check the news. Wow. It's all about emotional relief. Because I some- check the news five times a day. <laughs> so I want somebody yeah, else's but, drama and not my own. <laughs> there's a confluence of factors, right? There's sure. fear, uncertainty, escapism. Let me go back to this because I do check the news several times a day. But what's amazing is half the time I'm doing it, I'm thinking you don't need to understand this drama to accomplish your task today. That's right. And I know it's a distraction. I know I actually don't need to understand some of the things that are happening. That's not my job right now, right? My job is to grow this company or finish this curriculum or finish this book. But I feel like checking the news is okay because it's actually sophisticated. It makes me a cultured human being. It makes me an aware human being. So I justify it, unlike eating a slice of chocolate cake. Right. Well, so you know this better than anyone, right? We we feel first and then we rationalize and justify right, right, with right. the thinking brain after the fact, right? Right. <laughs> so, you know, we can concoct every story under the sun around why, oh, I'm a concerned citizen. This is important for me to keep up to date with. At the end of the day, look, there is nothing wrong with checking the news. The, what is wrong about checking the news is when we do it to escape having to do something we said we would do. We'll be right back with the rest of my conversation with Nir Eyal in just a moment. All right, there's no actual ad in the middle of this uh, podcast interview. I'm not going to sell you anything, but I am going to tell you about something that's coming. You can't even buy it yet. It's the Hero on a Mission course in Business Made Simple. It comes with a life plan and a day planner, the Business Made Simple day planner. And the reason I wanted to tell you about it, even though you can't buy it, 
is because it actually follows Nir Eyal's advice. In the daily day planner, there are two to-do lists. One is a to-do list of all the stuff that you shouldn't think is important because it's secondary. And first, the to-do list of primary tasks, which are three things that you actually really do need to focus on. But inside of those primary tasks, there is a minute, there's an hour and minute counter that you tell yourself, I'm gonna work 60 minutes or I'm gonna work 90 minutes before you start. That way you know how long to put off the distraction, right? It's a planner that has worked fantastically for me for the last 10 years. It's gonna come out right around Thanksgiving. And again, start listening for Hero on a Mission. We just recently shot the unbelievably gorgeous, beautiful course. We have redesigned the planner. It will all be coming out right around Thanksgiving. Again, you can't buy it right now. If you go to heroonamission.com, there's nothing there. But in the next month, something is going to pop up on that domain that is going to change your life come Thanksgiving through the end of the year into early next year. This life plan and day planner will change your life. So not selling you anything, you can't buy it. But keep an eye out for Hero on a Mission. You can buy it at the end of the year. If you're already a part of Business Made Simple University, don't worry about it. It's gonna pop up into your platform. You get it for free, you get to print out the life plan, you get to print out the day planner, you get to do it all for the money that you've already paid. If you're not a part of Business Made Simple, go to businessmadesimple.com and register today. But keep an eye out at the end of the year. If you really wanna do what Nir is talking about, keep an eye out for the Hero on a Mission life plan and planner at the end of the year. Okay, let's go back. Let's get really practical because it, if I don't get to the part where you lost a bunch of weight and became an athlete, I'm going to be I'm going to get letters saying you're a terrible <laughs> interviewer. We got to But I, I am curious. We're sitting in bed, we're lying in bed, and I usually read news on my way to La La Land. On my way to sleep, I'll catch up a little bit on the news. When really what I'd rather do is read the book my buddy wrote and wants to talk about over coffee in a couple days. And I also want to read that book, but instead I'll read the news. What's going on internally with me and how can I read the book instead of the news? And we're asking the same question. How can I get up and go jogging? How can I not eat the chocolate cake? You talk about triggers, reimagining those triggers, not trying to actively suppress urges, reimagining the task, reimagining your temperament. Walk me through the formula for actually staying in traction and not getting distracted. Right. Okay. So now that we have those four pillars that we talked about earlier. Now we almost have like a compass that we can guide. We can go in in a clockwise fashion around these four points. So step number one is mastering the internal triggers. So I teach you in the book exactly how to overcome these uncomfortable internal states to recognize them. As you mentioned earlier, that's the very first step is to understand what it is we are experiencing when we're honest with ourselves about the real deeper psychology around why we are looking for escape the purpose that distraction and procrastination serves us, then we can do something about the problem. So first step, master the internal triggers. And we can talk about some very practical tips that anyone can use to start mastering those internal triggers. So the first strategy is master the internal triggers. The second step is to make time for traction. The third step is to hack back the external triggers. And the fourth step is to prevent distraction with PACT. None of the techniques work in isolation, okay? They have to be used in concert. But the most important step is step number one, mastering the internal trigger. So let me give you a very practical technique. And again, you know, I didn't write this book and do five years of research because I knew the answer. I wrote this book because you I needed, needed the, the answer. answer. Yeah. I 
was the most distracted person you've ever met. <laughs> like I said, the first three years of writing this book, I was constantly distracted until I figured out what really works out there. And by the way, this isn't just some made up methodology. The book is full of 30 page of, of peer reviewed studies, everything. You know, I don't, I hate these self-help books that, you know, I, this is my technique. And so everybody should do it. No, no, no. I, I not only does it work, it has to be backed by good research. So, right, so right. It's, it, I don't want people to think that this is, you know, my pet techniques. Many of these techniques have been around for decades, actually, and people don't aren't aware about how effective they really are. So, for example, mastering the internal triggers, the most important step. So, I'll give you an example. I've been a writer now full time for the past eight years now, and writing for me never gets easy. You know, there's this myth that you can turn everything into a habit. I think we have reached right. peak habits. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. Everybody thinks, you know, that's shorthand. When somebody says, oh, I want to, you know, make a new habit, what they're saying is, I want to turn a hard thing into something that's easy. Uh, but many behaviors cannot be turned into habits because the definition of a habit is a behavior done with little or no conscious thought. Well, writing takes a lot of conscious thought. Right. It's never going to become a habit. Exercise, if it's hard work, it ain't a habit by definition. And so, you know, what happens when we're doing these difficult tasks and we think they should be easy is that we quit. We say, well, let me just check the news for a quick sec. Let me just look at Facebook. Let me just check email, do something on my to-do list that takes us away from that uncomfortable feeling of boredom, anxiety, stress, frustration. Instead, what we want to do is to start with, I'll just name, you know, one of the techniques I talk about in the book, there's many, is about reimagining the internal trigger. So if we can catch ourselves and say, okay, I'm feeling this internal trigger. So the first step is to recognize that that internal trigger is occurring. If we can give it a name, which, which you know, sounds simple, but by definition, a habit is when we do something with little or no conscious thought, that when we impulsively check the news or check Facebook or whatever, check email, we're not thinking. So if we have the opportunity to stop ourselves and say, oh, wait a minute, why am I doing this right now? What is going on inside of me? That's the very first step and just writing it down. The next step is to do what psychologists call surfing the urge. That surfing the urge is recognizes that these sensations, these uncomfortable internal triggers, fear, uncertainty, boredom is a big one, that these things are fleeting. That in the moment, they feel like they're gonna last forever, right? This uh, reading my friend's book is kind of boring. Let me just check the news for a quick sec, right? And we think that if we don't do that, we can't escape it, right? That's what's happening inside our brain, where in reality, these urges are like waves. They crest and then they subside. Now, what most people do when they get serious about distraction is that they utilize abstinence. But abstinence has been shown to backfire because abstinence is like a rubber band. When you tell yourself, don't do something, it's like pulling on a rubber band. Don't check it. Don't do 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 it. Finally, right. you can't hold back anymore. And when you release, it ricochets. You know, the rubber band doesn't just go back to where it started. It ricochets across the room. Yeah. You know, part of the reason why we habituate our brains or why we even addict ourselves to certain things, uh, certain substances, certain behaviors is because not only is it the behavior itself, it's the relief of telling ourselves no. Right. That when I don't have to tell myself no anymore, we resist being controlled even by ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It feels good when we can release ourselves. So what we want to do is to not tell ourselves no. We want to tell ourselves not yet. Now, what does that look like? It sounds interesting. Not yet. Right. So this is called the 10 minute rule. Here's how it works. When you set aside time to do whatever it is you, you say you're going to do. I want to read my friend's book for 30 minutes. I want to work on that blog post or that big project or spend quality time with my kids, whatever it is. And then I feel that urge. 
Okay, I feel that sensation that I, I'm being pulled off track towards distraction. I want to eat that chocolate cake that I know I shouldn't have. I want to smoke that cigarette. I want to check email for a quick sec. What we want to tell ourselves is that it's fine to give into that sensation. It's okay to give into that urge, but not right now. Not right now. In 10 minutes. This is the 10-minute rule. So many times I'll take out my phone. And by the way, I didn't invent this technique. I have to give credit where it's due. This comes from acceptance and commitment therapy. It's been around for decades. Yes. I love acceptance and commitment. I've never seen an acceptance and commitment therapist, but I've read enough about it. I thought these guys are on to something. Great technique. It's a great. So I'll tell I'll set a timer for 10 minutes. And my job for those 10 minutes are to just sit with that sensation, okay? To explore it, not with contempt. You know, a lot of people they beat themselves up, they they shame themselves into thinking, what, well, you know, I, I I'm deficient somehow. Why can't I focus? I have an addictive personality. They make all these ridiculous stories up in their head. Instead, we want to explore it with curiosity rather than contempt or get back to the task at hand. Those are the only two choices. Either sit with that sensation until the clock runs out for those 10 minutes or get back to the task at hand. And what you will find, if you can just surf the urge for those 10 minutes, what you will find is that nine times out of 10, by the time the clock goes off and the 10 minutes have passed, you're back at doing what, what you want to do. Because you've surfed that urge, you've allowed it to crest and then subside, and, and that's given you the, the time and the space to get back to what you really want to do. So that's one of many techniques. So practically, in the morning, I go down to what I call the bunker. It's just a, it's a literally a cinder block room in my garage, and that's where I write. I get my writing done in the morning. But you're right. As soon as I sit down to write, I want to check email, the Slack. I want to touch up base with my staff before I get started writing. And you're saying... Well, start writing, set an alarm for 10 minutes. In 10 minutes, if you still feel like checking an email, you can. Wait, is that the technique? That's right. And what you will find is that nine times out of 10, you'll just keep writing, right? If you yeah, can, if you I would can imagine. Get back to task again, or focus on the sensation. You know, I feel you as a writer, you know, it's this is boring, this is hard, nobody's gonna like what I'm writing, full of these internal triggers. And what you find is that you become more adept at dealing with this discomfort. That, you know, I think that there's a bit of a myth these days in the self-help community that if we're not happy all the time, if everything isn't awesome 100% of the time, if something is hard, somehow we're broken, we're deficient somehow, that we're supposed to love everything all the time. And of course, that's ridiculous, <laughs> right? That never happened. Well, really, I, I owe my career to the realization 15 years ago that it's never going to be easy. You're never going to feel like doing it. Stop trying to fix this. It's always going to be broken. Just never stop your feet from moving forward and keep the ball moving toward the end zone. No matter what happens, yes. keep going forward. And because of that, I finished books and my friends couldn't finish books. Bill Company, my friends couldn't finish company. Because they were trying to fix the thing that was holding them back. And I just should run into the thing holding your back and try to be stronger than the thing that is trying to hold you back. Right. I think that's relentless forward progress. I think that's what you're saying. And realizing that, look, feeling bad is not bad. That these internal triggers are not a bad thing. So many of us try and escape them with some kind of distraction. Whereas we, you know, the people who are indistractable, they use them as rocket fuel. They realize that these internal triggers are in fact what propels us forward. That disquietude, that discomfort, the fact that we don't like the current state of affairs is what we use to build great companies and write amazing books. We can utilize it to move us towards traction rather than distraction. I love it. Well, step two is make time for traction. And does this right. mean you actually schedule it? What do you mean when you say make time for traction? Exactly. It's realizing the fact that you cannot call something a distraction 
unless you know what it distracted you from. Let me say mm, that again. You mm. can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So, you know, for all the time that we spend groaning and moaning about this distracted me and that distracted me, if you don't know what is traction for your day, what you plan to do with your time, everything is a distraction. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. Because you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. And so this comes down to why I think to-do lists and this, what I call the tyranny of the to-do list is destroying people's productivity. People don't understand how horrible running your day off a to-do list is because there's a few reasons. One, you know, it shapes your identity. I've never met a single person, including myself, that runs their day with a to-do list and actually finishes everything on their to-do list. Have you ever met a person who finishes everything on their to-do list? It doesn't exist. Right? Yeah. It's, it's like a unicorn. And yet we keep using the same technique, right? Like if you went to go buy a new phone or a computer and the operating system crashed on you every single day, wouldn't you eventually say, hey, you know what? I think I got a crappy computer here, <laughs> right? Like You don't know this about me, but I actually created a planner, a day planner 10 years ago. And thousands of people use it and we're about to release a course on it. But here's what's interesting. I have on my planner, my day daily page, I have primary projects. It's three projects that you can pick and then my to-do list on the planner is called secondary tasks. And I literally say in the teaching, they aren't important. Stop thinking that they're important. If you don't get one done on a day, switch it to tomorrow. The dry cleaning can wait. Mowing the lawn can wait. These are the things that you want to get traction on, these three things. And then I even say, you're only going to get traction on one of them. Don't kick yourself around. You're not going to get very much done, but you're going to get something important done. And that's what actually builds a career. Am I on to something there? What the research shows is that there's a technique that psychologists call making an implementation intention, which has is just a fancy way of saying planning out what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. So the technique that psychologists have studied now in literally thousands of studies, I'm not exaggerating here, it's, been, it's one of the most well-studied techniques that nobody will do, yeah. <laughs> which is yeah. what, what's so frustrating is that it's not good enough to just have a list of to-dos. You have to put those things on your calendar, right? Because if you think about it, what we do every day, we make output, right? But to make output, we need input. That it's ridiculous to think that we can create stuff without knowing the factors that go into it. Well, for knowledge workers, what is the input? It's only two things, time and attention. So we can't keep you know these to-do lists. And by the way, it's not that I mind people keeping a list of the things they need to do. It's that you shouldn't run your day based on that. You shouldn't wake right. up in the morning with an empty calendar and say, oh, how should I spend my time? Let me look at my to-do list because I will tell you right now what you will do. You will do the easy stuff. Right. That's what you, yeah. you will do the, the quick wins and you'll keep delaying and delaying the important stuff. And so when you time box and measure yourself based on one metric only, not how many cute little boxes you checked off, but how many time blocks you did what you said you were going to do for as long as you said you would without distraction. That, you just do that. Don't worry about finishing stuff. We are so obsessed with checking these stupid little boxes that we don't realize that if we just measure ourselves based on did I do what I said I was going to do for as long as I said I would without distraction, those people get more done than the people who keep the to-do list. So if we just said from 7 a.m. to 8.30 a.m., I'm going to be in the bunker writing every day, right. but not say I'm going to finish chapter two or finish chapter three, that's the key. 
Yes, bingo. Because because you don't control that stuff. Right. Especially with writing. Exactly. You don't control and anything. <laughs> that's right. You can't summon the muse to say, I will write no. a New York Times bestselling post or I'm going to write what, you know, you can't summon that kind of stuff. Just like in, in the office, you can't say, oh, I'm going to have that report done by such and such date. Well, what if you need the numbers from Rodney and you need the graphics from Jill? There's all these other factors that come down to affecting when you are going to finish stuff. You can't control all those things. Here's what you can control. Your time and your attention. By putting things on a to-do list, they have an excuse, right? I didn't work on it today because I didn't have the numbers from Rodney, right? I can't, I can't, right? I couldn't finish because uh, some, I'm waiting for somebody. That's BS. If you put the time on your calendar to work on it 30 minutes every day for as long as it takes or whatever amount of time you want to devote to it, of course you're going to finish. Okay, two more things. Hacking back external triggers. These are the four things we need to do. Hack back external triggers and prevent distraction with packs. Let's get to external triggers. How you hack back these guys? Sure. So external triggers is where we really start talking about kind of the usual suspects, the pings, the dings, the rings. How do you finally use technology in a way that serves you as opposed to you serving it? So we cover simple stuff like, you know, changing the notifications on your phone, your computer, but that's kind of kindergarten stuff. What I really dive into that really changes people's lives is how do we get to all the other things that distract us? For example, meetings. How many meetings do we attend Talk back to those internal triggers. How many meetings do we attend that are called not to get much done, but to hear the boss think out loud? Oh, goodness. Right? Yeah. So much of our day is spent in these distracting meetings right, that are full of these internal triggers of boredom and uncertainty and anxiety. And of course, this is why we're constantly checking our devices in meetings is because they're full of discomfort. So I tell you how to hack back meetings, uh, whether it's uh, you know remote meetings or in-person meetings how to hack back the open floor plan office, how to hack back working from home. You know, now, now that so many yeah. of us are working from home, it's not our colleagues that are distracting us, it's our kids <laughs> or our spouse that's distracting us. So I tell you how to hack back uh, uh, those external triggers. Email, oh my goodness, how much time do we spend in our email inboxes drowning in distraction? I tell you once and for all how to hack back email. So that's where we really dive into the nuts and bolts. That's the most kind of uh, practical, practice-filled chapter. And walk me through packs. Are you actually making a, a blood oath with yourself that you're going to get this done at this time? What does a pack look like? Making pacts is the fourth and final step. So this is what we do as a firewall, as the last line of defense against distraction after we've mastered the internal triggers, after we've made time for traction, after we hack back the external triggers. This is the critical fourth step so that it, when everything else fails, this is the last line of defense. Now, what does this look like? So PACTs are what we call pre-commitment devices, and it's actually a 2,500-year-old technique. Uh, it's actually in the Odyssey, uh, the story written by Homer 2,500 years ago. It's when we make a promise to ourselves or to somebody else so that when we are likely to get distracted, there's some kind of promise that we've made. And we, we do this all the time. You know, If you think about you know, a health savings account or an advanced health care directive, it's when we are saying, if I'm not in my right state of mind later on, I'm going to make this promise today to be executed later. So we can do the same thing with distraction. So let me give you a couple examples. One of the types of pacts is called an effort pact. An effort pact is when we put some bit of friction in between us and something we don't want to do, us and that distraction. So for example, in my household, you know, I've been mar married for 18 years. And after uh, so many years of marriage, I'll be honest with you, uh, my wife and I's sex life suffered. And it suffered because night after night, we were going to bed 
and I was fondling my iPhone and she was caressing <laughs> her iPad and we weren't being intimate with each other. Right. And not only were we not getting quality sleep, we, we were missing out on, on something we really enjoy right, <laughs> with right. each other. And so we decided to take a look at this and figure out how we can fix this problem. And, and so after we mastered the internal triggers, made time for traction and hacked back external triggers, the last step was that we made a pact. And here's what we did. We went to the hardware store and we bought ourselves a $10 outlet timer. Now this outlet timer will turn on or off anything you plug into it at a certain time of day or night. So in our household, every night at 10 p.m., our internet router and all the computer screens wow. turn on, right? Wow. So that we made this, now, could I turn it back on? Of course I could. I could use the Wi-Fi on my phone. I could unplug and replug. I could do that. Of course I could. I could cheat if I wanted to. But now I've inserted a bit of effort, right? I've made an otherwise mindless behavior. I force it to be a mindful behavior to say, wait a minute. Okay, now I have to get under my desk to unplug this router thingy. Is this really necessary? Do I really need to keep scrolling social media? Can this email wait till tomorrow? Of course it can. And so over time, that uh, pact has just become part of our life. Now we don't need it anymore, actually. Now we all know, okay, hurry up, finish everything. 10 o'clock is coming. Everything's going to shut down. So that's an example of an effort pact. There are other pacts like price pacts and identity pacts, which are also very, very powerful. Well, it's all in the book, Indistractable. You can get it on Amazon or wherever you buy books. I want to go through those four the four steps, if you will, again, master your internal trigger, make time for traction, hack back external triggers, and prevent distraction with packs. If you think this would be helpful for you, make sure to pick up Nier's book. It's indistractable. Also, we can learn more about you, Nier, at nearandfar.com. It's spelled, your name is spelled N-I-R. So it's N-I-R and F-A-R.com. I like what you did there. Nearandfar.com. This has been an unbelievable conversation. I feel like we're going to need a part two here in a relatively short period of time. And I look forward to that. Near, keep writing, keep teaching. This is unbelievably helpful. Thank you. And by the way, I'd love to do that follow-on episode. We should totally do that. We should see how you've used some of these techniques. We've really, you know, the, the problem is we've just scratched the surface. There's so much more to explore here. So I'm happy. Yeah, you to- can tell there's a lot more. But I think we all get, we're going to have to read our book and then invite the professor back. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll have read our textbook by the next time we talk. All right, Nir, stay safe. Thanks for giving us some of your time. My pleasure. Thank you so much. All right, JJ, did you catch the one thing that that, that <laughs> yes. in our you know vocabulary stuff we had never thought of? It, it wasn't. Yeah. It's, it's not a part of our planner or any of that. And we have major psychological tools in the Hero on a Mission plan. Yeah, yeah, help yeah. You. Uh, but just the catch delay. What it was? Just the delay. Yeah, that you can have it, just not yes, now. Yes, <laughs> I love that, and that is so true. I mean, I find it myself the all fight, the time, right? Yeah, because especially if I'm in the middle of like fighting over staying focused and everything, I'm like, oh, I want ice cream and I want this. <laughs> and then if you can just say, you get it, just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, just ten minutes. Ten minutes. Just set a phone. Just, set a phone timer. <laughs> and then, uh, or like even when I push myself even further than that, I will find myself being done with whatever I was doing, and I'm not. I'm like, well, I don't need right. the ice cream. That's right. <laughs> it's, that's right. That's crazy that that's a real tool that I, I, I can't wait to use it's it. It's so fantastic. Yeah. And it's also obvious when you read like Charles Duhigg's work and James Clear's work, you know, Atomic Habits and all that. It's in there. It's in the subtext. But I love that Nier so kind practical. of brought it out. The other thing that was so amazing was the timer on his router at home. Uh-huh. At, you know, at 10 o'clock, the router just goes off and nobody can get on the internet. Yes. <laughs> we, we, yesterday, we had an irrigation person that were installing an mm-hmm. irrigation line to water the lawn. 
And they cut through our internet. Yes, which is why we're at the office today, not your house. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked around the living room for like 15 minutes not knowing what I was. And then I'm like, a book. I can read a book. <laughs> That's what we did back before electricity. We read books. Mm, mm. <laughs> so I lit yeah. a candle and uh-huh. I read a book. <laughs> I lit a candle. <laughs> I read Your a book. electricity didn't go out. <laughs> and I read a book and I thought we should be doing this every night. So two practical takeaways. Yeah, One, just say you can have it later. Yeah. You know, set a timer if you want or say, you know, you can have it tonight. You just can't have it right now. You got to focus on this. You can check that email later. And the other one is put a, put a timer on your router <laughs> and shut the thing off. If you're like us, I can't even get live television without the internet. Yeah. I got nothing. Yep. Yeah. I, I got it. I mean, Betsy and I look at each other and go, Yeah, you literally have to talk to again? the people with you and read books. <laughs> Ugh. How was your day? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Nir, thank you for saving our lives. The book is called Indistractable. You get it on Amazon, Barnes Noble, wherever you buy books. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's latest record, Dive Deep Hushed, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. Music.